verses 23 to 26, which can be found on page 1154 in your pew Bibles. It is a passage that should be familiar to you, for we talk about it pretty much every single week as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Now, as you're turning, I invite you to turn your bulletin to page five. You'll see an outline. And please know, every week uh, in, in preparing the sermon, there's stuff that doesn't make the sermon. Uh, young preachers, and I was one once, young preachers sometimes fall prey to the idea that the point of the sermon is to cram as much information as possible about any given text into the message. And so uh, they stand up and just start battering you to death with words. Uh I've now, I have some sympathy to that because I was that guy. Um, now I understand that the sermon actually does something different. But let me say this. Um, something that didn't make the sermon that I want to just throw out to you uh, by means of introduction this morning is we talk about the sacraments. And this is not in your bulletin, but understand one of the, one of the roles that the sacraments play is that they differentiate. They differentiate between the people of God and those who are not the people of God. Now, what that looks like differs depending on your tradition. Our Lutheran and Catholic friends would tell you that the sacraments actually create the people of God. And what we would say is that no, they don't create the people of God, but rather they serve to distinguish the visible church from an unbelieving world. Now, again, our credo-baptist friends would say, well, no, actually, it's not about the visible church. It's about the invisible church. And that's a whole other conversation for another day. Uh, it's a great conversation to have over coffee uh, and to sort of sort all of that out. But just note that the very point of the sacrament, one of the points of the sacraments is to distinguish between God's people and those who are not God's people. And so there's always a kind of refining and discerning characteristic to the sacraments. Okay, didn't make the sermon. Moving on, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together, please. This morning, Father, now help us to understand what's going on in these ordinary means of grace, why it is that you command them, and what it is that's actually being pictured and presented to us, or more notably, who is being pictured and presented to us through the sacraments. For we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most backhanded compliments one could give to someone or to something is to refer to them as ordinary. How was your dinner out? Ordinary. 
How was your date? Ordinary. How does the new guy in your chemistry class look? Mm. Ordinary. How is the anticipated new book from a celebrated New York Times bestselling author? Ordinary. In a society that is obsessed with unique and extraordinary, is there anything worse than just being, well, ordinary? And yet, the Bible tells us repeatedly that it is through ordinary things that God does his work. He chooses ordinary things to point us to and paint pictures for us of his grace, love, and mercy. Marriage, something that at least up until roughly 50 years ago, was a very ordinary institution. But God tells us in his word that each marriage is actually a picture of Christ and his church. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, he did so using very ordinary things like vines and fields and shepherds watching their sheep. In other words, Jesus commandeered the ordinary stuff of life. It's God's delightful prerogative to take the ordinary and transform it into something extraordinary. But do we really believe that? Are we willing as a church to set aside all the bells and whistles that we're told appeal to unchurched folks and instead put our trust and our confidence in ordinary Will we do God's work in God's way? For friends, it is really simple to do my work my way, but tell myself I'm actually doing God's work. Well, if you look at page five in your bulletin, you see an outline for our time together this morning. And under that outline, there's something called the big idea, which in one sentence is what the sermon is about. Here it is in the sacraments. God reveals Christ to his people. In the sacraments, God reveals Christ to his people. So we want to ask a question. And then you see, secondly, we're going to make a statement related to what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about particularly the Lord's Supper. So first, what is so ordinary and gracious about the ordinary means of grace? Now, like lots of things, and my wife has uh, turned me on to this, sometimes there are words that we use all the time that we think we really know the definition of, and yet it never hurts to look it up in a dictionary. And so if you go to the Oxford American Dictionary and look up ordinary, there are two primary definitions. The first one is this, of a kind to be expected in the normal order of events. It was an ordinary day. Secondly, uh, it's used in a way that's both positive and negative. It's of common quality, rank, or ability. The individual was an ordinary baseball player. Or thirdly, ordinary is used in terms of being deficient in quality. How was your meal? It was very ordinary. So what is it then that makes baptism and the Lord's Supper ordinary? Why do we say that the sacraments are part of the ordinary means of grace? Well, we call them ordinary because uh, through the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ, normal elements are being used. 
God doesn't say, for example, here's what you got to do. Uh, you got to find ground up unicorn horn and fairy dust. And those are the things I want you to use to signify this. No, every culture uses water, wine, and bread. In fact, these things are staples of life in most places. Now, of course, we live in the States. We live particularly in the largest cattle-producing state in the nation. We're wondering why beef isn't a part of this. But in most of the world, water, wine, and bread are the essential elements to actually live. This is what you need to survive. Well, not only does the, this uh, use normal elements, it also uses normal events. Let me just let's poll the room here this morning. Uh, if you've bathed or showered and you've eaten in the past week, would you please raise your hand? Pretty much everybody. Uh, by the way, if you haven't bathed, we have some wonderful seating out there in the corner. There's not much airflow, which is good for us. These, again, are basic and fundamental actions that we take to sustain life. We bathe, we eat, we drink. Why? Because we have to live. And these are things that God in his grace and God in his providence has given us to sustain life. Where the ordinary means of grace then become extraordinary is when the Spirit of God takes these ordinary elements and these ordinary events and transforms them into elements that speak to not our physical life, but they speak to our spiritual life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, please understand this morning, there's nothing magic in the sacraments. The sign, the sacraments are a sign, the sign is not the thing that is signified. They are a picture for us of what is being presented, namely Jesus in the gospel. But they are not the thing itself. If you're driving from uh, Omaha, coming into Fremont, you get on a 275 there, and it used to be different. It used to say at one point Fremont 10 miles, and then as you drove down the road, getting closer to Fremont, it would say Fremont 12 miles. Uh, they fixed it now. They've flipped the signs back. But if you see a sign that says Fremont 12 miles, do you think you've actually arrived in Fremont? Well, I hope not. But it does let you know that you're going in the right direction. It does point you to the place in which you're trying to go. Well, friends, the sacraments serve then as a sign. They let us know they're not the thing itself. We don't think next week when the Stain boys are baptized, we don't think that that makes them a Christian. But we do think that it speaks to the cleansing blood and the new life that is theirs to be had by grace through faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how then are these ordinary things like water, bread, and wine gracious things as well? How do they become means of grace. Well, let's understand that we do these things because Jesus has commanded us to do so. We don't baptize because we think uh, there are babies or there are grown-ups who need a little water splashed on them. 
No, we baptize because when he gave us his commission to go and make disciples, Jesus said that one of the ways we're going to do it is we're going to baptize them. We're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then in the upper room with his disciples, Jesus told them, he commanded them, whenever they come together, they're to observe this particular meal. Being obedient to the commands of of the Lord Jesus Christ is a means of grace. In the same way that if we were disobedient to those commands, we would not expect God to bless us. We do nonetheless understand that being obedient to the commands of Jesus is a means of grace. It provides, as it were, a pathway for God to do his work. Now, it's important to note that the sacraments, we believe, are only those things which have been commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ that we ought to do. If you grew up Catholic, you know that they have more than two sacraments. They have more than merely baptism and the Lord's Supper. Our response to that would be, well, Jesus doesn't command everybody to get married. For example, marriage is one of the seven sacraments. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians goes to great lengths to point out, hey, whether you're single or whether you're married, both of these are from the Lord, and both of them need to be embraced. When I was at a Christian college in the late 80s and early 90s, there was this weird foot washing craze that was going on, and people were trying to elevate the words of Jesus when he says, well, if I can't wash your feet, you have no part of me. They were trying to make it almost like a sacrament, but most of them didn't really believe in sacraments. It was this really weird, awkward thing that people were doing. But at the end of the day, as it was rightly pointed out to us finally by someone who actually knew some Bible, Jesus didn't command foot washing in perpetuity, but he did command baptism and he did command the Lord's Supper. So these ordinary things become a means of grace because we're doing them in obedience to the command of Jesus. But we also understand that in these things, the Spirit of God uses them as he wills. The Spirit of God uses them as he wills. Friends, getting a baby wet or getting a grown-up wet means nothing apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, saying that Christ is spiritually present in the, sac- in the sacrament of the table means nothing unless it is apprehended by grace through faith. In other words, we need the Spirit of God to come and to take these signs and to point us rightly to the thing that is signified. But they are not the thing that is signified. Secondly, We see that the sacraments are ordinary means of grace because in them Christ is pictured and present. In them Christ is pictured and present. Now, we don't have time to do both baptism and the Lord's Supper. And since we find ourselves living and ministering and working in a context in which we have all sorts of different views about both baptism and the Lord's Supper, we're going to pick just one and we're going to pick the Supper. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 26, there are two things about the table that we need to understand. The first is that the table is a memorial. It's a memorial. In fact, Jesus tells us in verse 24, this is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. And in case we miss it, he tells us again in verse 25, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we are remembering each and every week the sufferings of Christ. They're pictured for us when we see the bread and wine. When we taste the bread and wine, we are reminded it is a picture for us. It is a memorial of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself tells us this. We are doing this in remembrance of him. Now, I think, and you don't have to be middle-aged to the point where you go out of the house every day and have to triple-check to make sure that you have your car keys, as I do. But I think we all understand how easy it is to forget. And so it's good that the Bible calls upon us regularly to remember. We've had a lot of that over the past several weeks. We've been, uh, as we've been packing, Amy's also going through these clear uh, crates that we have of the kids' stuff. And she sent me a text the other day, said, are you ready to cry, big guy? And I'm sitting there going, dang it. No, I'm not, but I guess I'm going to. Uh, when Nathaniel was a boy, he was inseparable from his pacifier. But he didn't call it his pacifier, he called it his boppy. And so uh, he couldn't, he, he really, he had problems speaking. And as we went to the pediatrician, we realized, okay, the pacifier isn't helping. His teeth are kind of getting wonky looking. The pacifier's got to go. So instead of just throwing it away, because we knew he'd find something else, uh, we, we are these kinds of parents. We cut the end off of boppy. So when he got it, it would just collapse in on itself and he couldn't, like he couldn't suck on it anymore. And that Wednesday night, he went to church and he found his friend, Mike Paget, and he went to Mike and he held up his pacifier and he said, Mike, Boppy, fix it. And big Mike came to me and he's like, preacher, I, I don't, I don't want to disappoint the boy, but I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I'm like, well, Mike. There's nothing you can do. We're, we're trying to get him to give up the pacifier. All those things come back because Amy sends me a picture of the famed and infamous Bobby. Well, friends, what should flood our minds every Sunday when we see the bread and we see the wine? Jesus tells us we're doing these things in remembrance of him and we are prone to forget and each and every week we get to see and we get to touch and we get to smell and we get to taste each and every week we are reminded of the sufferings of the lord jesus christ but it isn't just a memorial there is more going on here than our Baptist and low church evangelical friends want to admit. There's also less going on here than our Roman Catholic and some of our Lutheran friends want to claim. What exactly does Jesus mean when he says in verse 24, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is my body? Or when he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood? Is he exaggerating? Is he simply speaking metaphorically or symbolically? Is it really 
his body and blood, as our Catholic friends and sort of our Lutheran friends kind of believe. To be honest, for those of you who grew up Lutheran, I'm not trying to insult you, but I, I have read Luther so many times trying to figure out what he actually believed, and I'm no closer to getting clearer on it than I was when I started. But what we would, what we would hold to is that Jesus, when he says, this is my body, what he's talking about is that he's present spiritually. In the same way, when Jesus says to us, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. Do we expect a first century Middle Eastern Jewish man to actually come walking in and down the aisle? Well, I hope not. But I hope we understand that when he says that, he means he is present among us spiritually. In the same way, the Lord Jesus is present spiritually in the bread and in the wine. And that presence is apprehended only by faith. Again, we need the work of the Spirit for us to get the benefits of the means of grace. They're not magic in and of themselves. They have no power in and of themselves. Jesus is pictured. Jesus is present where it's pointed to him. But these benefits that are spoken of are grasped only by grace through faith. It's only through the work of God's Spirit that we come to understand and benefit and comprehend rightly that Christ is spiritually present in the Lord's Supper. There's one more way in which the Lord's table is quite ordinary, but it's not really a way we like to think about, especially not as 21st century Americans. See, the table is a picture of suffering. We are reminded that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed. So let me ask you another question. Have you suffered this week? Probably not in the way that Jesus did, but have you suffered this week? Now, if you say, nah, it's been a, been a pretty, I mean, minus the football game last night, not made much suffering this week. Well, how about this month? How about this year? See, as we're pointed to the suffering of the Son of God, we're reminded of the fact that it is normal for sons of Adam and daughters of Eve to suffer. In fact, we could go so far as to say suffering is pretty ordinary. It's normal. It comes to all of us. We don't have to go looking for it. It finds us. But yet again, God takes that which is sadly quite ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. See, Christ's suffering is like ours, but it's not. Christ's suffering is redemptive. In the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of sins to be had. We who were once guilty are proclaimed to be not guilty. We who were once dead in our sin and in our trespasses are made alive together with the Lord Jesus Christ. We who are sold and enslaved to our sin are redeemed 
by the one who loved us enough to give his life for us. Friends, it is only in God's economy that things as normal and ordinary as bread and wine and water and suffering are made extraordinary. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these wonderful gifts. Thank you for the way in which you call us not to do uh, out-of-the-way, remarkable, bold thing. No, you call us you call us to trust that you and you alone will take ordinary things and use them in extraordinary ways. And so, Father, help us to believe that. Help us to trust in that. Help us to lean not into our own understanding, but, Father, help us rather to believe that as your people we're called to do your work in your way. For we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.